Welcome to the Digital Dudes podcast. That sounded like slow. you, instead of a 1.5, that yeah. was like a 0. 0.75 yeah. delivery. You went on vacation, but now I'm so chill. It's like I was on vacation. Oh, okay. Let's see so how that went. If I leave, then you you become more relaxed. Yeah, it could be that. Or it could be that my, uh, <laughs> my training, like I did like 50 miles this weekend uh, oh my across God. my different runs. So. so how close are we to getting something scheduled? Uh, it looks like we're going to shoot for August 26th. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. So we're, it's becoming real. Yeah. So you want to share with uh, the, with our listeners what's going to happen August 26th? The early plug, I'm sure it, Erica exactly. will want uh, like a full podcast about this. Yeah. Maybe my running commentary for nine, 10 hours. Yeah. We'll just have If we could scare off all our time. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I will never listen to that again. <laughs> for those that, some, those that have known me for a while know I, I do uh, some ultra running and Previously, when we when the three of us were at the post, I had uh, taken a crack at the uh, Guinness World Record for longest distance for 12 hours on a treadmill um, and was able to nab it by just a couple of miles then. It's since been broken, um, but I've always had it on my mind to go for the 100-mile tre- treadmill record, so the fastest 100 miles. And um, it's lining up where I actually submitted for approval to try to do both records, so it'd be like a simultaneous um, run. But if I get the 12 hour record, you basically are going to get the hundred mile record. Um, but if I miss the 12 hour, there's still a shot to get the, the hundred mile record. So it's just like, could get both, maybe just get one. But two world records in, in one day would be pretty extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So, which makes me have to ask, do they have like the, the world record for 110 miles, 120? You no, know, there's it, major <laughs> distances. So there's like marathon, 50 K 50 mile. Okay. And then hundred mile. And then they do the, uh, 12 hour and 24 hour. Okay, cool. So that it just happens that the 12 hour and the hundred are really close together. Yeah. Like meaning yeah. you need about 12 hours to run just over 12 hours to run a hundred miles. Well, it's super exciting. I think we agreed we'd, we'd be buying a treadmill just for the occasion and bringing it into the office and yeah, we'll do the live stream. And if I do do commentating, it'll be something along the lines of, uh, the movie best in show. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll hear that level of, <laughs> Of commentary from me, so yeah, that'll that, get me going. <laughs> yeah, maybe just watch the video and don't listen to me. Yeah, that actually may help keep the energy up. Last time uh, we had music and Leo was like the DJ, uh, Stealth Bomber Leo, and he did pretty good for like seven of those hours. But then he, I think he started to get bored of the upbeat stuff and he started to move to some like slower. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, we need to really kick this in the gear. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's so, a long that's a long playlist to prepare for. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, today we're doing our mid-year check-in. That's um, So it's the beginning. Well, I guess it's actually middle of July already. Uh, but we have done, as, as you and I were discussing offline, but we've done our annual um, sort of like digital updates. And uh, it seems like mid-year makes sense too. So yeah, a lot. Loose. Yeah, a lot happens in the. In, I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about. I guess in the middle of the year, part of it is are we are on the, st- the same plan that we were to start, and you know because we've been so maniacal really about holding to EOS and stuff. You know, not much has changed in that front, but certainly things have happened underneath us. The sands moved a little bit as far as the business, the business needs, and the industry, um, and all those things. I think. Uh, well, are, are interesting and worth talking about. And then you have NAA, which we already did a recap on that, but that uh, connects to this where it's like, 
you know, what are the trends in the industry and how much does our roadmap and strategy kind of line up with that? And then uh, the summit. So we have the Digital Summit coming in just a, a couple months. It'll be here before you know it. And we're actively talking about, you know, what those sessions and topics are going to be. Um, so, yeah, just seemed like a logical time for us to chat through it. Yeah. And we had Cena from Applicants on us. So, yeah, that, at this time, we didn't grab Ryan to say, hey, come do a presentation. <laughs> yeah. You only get two strikes with, with the Digital Dude, Cena. So if you're listening, uh, yeah. yeah, better not reschedule on us again. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, you're dead to us. But you did wonder if uh, if you could outdo his number of f bombs. Yeah, to be on this episode. Yeah. Well, Trevor <laughs> has set the the mark, and I didn't get a count. Um, and I don't know if our producers or whatever we want to call them uh, edited some of that out. But he he, he promised four. not to get past. But I think he had already passed that up front, oh. and then we reset and said, okay. okay. But I could be wrong. Maybe that was pre pre podcast. Yeah. But yeah, Cena. So, uh, yeah, I think might might let a few slip. Yeah. Instead of not safe for work, it's like not safe for Wyckoffs. Like, meaning like when your girl's <laughs> right. listening in the car. Right. I get in a lot of trouble, even with an S-bomb, much less an yeah. F-bomb. That that takes it up a notch. Yeah. So. Well, for mid-year, where do you want to start? Like As far as vision, I'd say high-level overall vision has remained the same. Uh, Digital's focus has changed quite a bit. Like This year, I think we were open about this, but we just we wanted to finally hit profitability. And now we've been profitable the entire year. And we're actually, I think Ryan was just showing, we're like four four times further along than we thought we wanted to be with uh, profitability. So we're way ahead of schedule. So now we get to decide how we want to reinvest those funds. Um, some of our product development roadmap, I wouldn't say has changed that much, but I don't know. Would you, um, would you say any of those folks? I feel like we've actually stayed pretty on track from what we wanted to do for the year. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's more about when these things need more attention, you know, and when we can let, as you like to say, let some fires burn. So it's not possible with the amount of things we're working on to give them the same amount of attention, Mm -hmm. you know, month to month, quarter to quarter. And so that, that's been more, I feel like as the business dictates, um, which mainly means like what's happening with our clients, but a good example of that is the fair housing. So we talked so much about that really last year. Um, and there's been some references to it, uh, this year, but as we talked like 2022, I don't feel like that was at the top of our list, but there's been some really interesting things unfolding and more just maybe teeing up another podcast, but uh, with the recent settlement that Nicole shared with us today on the Fair Housing Alliance um, between them and Facebook. And then, Hunt. sorry, Hunt, a bigger part, yeah. I keep getting them flipped. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, what that study that Doug shared with us out of Charlotte. And so I just bring it up as one of those things that, you know, we never took our eye off the ball, um, but there's been some interesting movement there that, and then as well as uh, some traction for us on the client side that could have us leaning back into fair housing pretty heavily the back half of this year. Yeah. I think we had always mentioned just to clear up, I guess, whatever, clarify some of it for, for folks. We had always internally thought that fair housing could be its own company, but um, it's hard to get something like that funded because timing, as you always say, is everything. And when it comes to a product like like fair housing or a compliance product, it's typically a multi-year sale. So if, if Digital is funding this outside of, or if Venture was trying to take this on, you're looking at like three to five years for it to finally get built and then to, to hopefully catch. Um, you hope to hit that right. Um, for us, since we're doing this internally and not with external funding, it that buys us time to let fair housing, you know, wait till it catches versus like having a, a deadline where all of a sudden it just gets sunsetted. Um, so it looks like some of that timing is lining up the the multi year timing. Um, yeah. 
So sorry. To yeah, clarify. no, no, that's great context. And then um, Fiona calls. So we we tra- officially transitioned off of uh, Dialogue Tech, which would be fine to mention, um, as our as our preferred call provider last year. And this has been in motion for a little while, but now uh, we made the full transition. And so that's uh, been mostly smooth, but certainly had had some hiccups, some pains that you know. Um, well, let's say we were fairly prepared for. Uh, but I just, this is another one that isn't been officially, I guess, productized, meaning like we're actively selling it out there, but we know that we could, just as you said, for housing could be its own company. So could, so could our call tracking. And especially with that added layer of fair housing, I think it makes it super interesting as you've obviously had conversations with, with uh, other large companies um, outside of multifamily and real estate that have shown an interest. So that's another one that will be interesting over the next six months or, uh, or beyond uh, how big of a focus that becomes for us as far as productizing. And then, um, reporting, you know, is such a huge one. It's our bread and butter. And, um, when I say bread and butter, it's just like such a critical part of our business. And that's another one that, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time evaluating and have a great partnership in place right now. But, um, yeah, there's some interesting things that could, you know, we'll be looking at, (laughs) in that realm um and then fiona's still our baby you know um and i think some people have questioned if we lost sight at all on fiona and it's really been just the opposite and i'll let tee you up for this as far as like is it dis- is digital somehow become disconnected and fiona's part of that dis you know the, the disparate parts or is it actually you know the, the beacon if you will or, or the hub to everything that we're, we're doing and i think we're learning right now that internally um maybe there's there's some confusion or question about that and so in the middle of the year i think we're recognizing that we need to make sure that it is clearly understood that that fiona is still a huge part of the future of this company and in fact actually does connect all these what might some days feel like disparate products or initiatives yeah well uh as we've talked a lot about jim collins he mentions a lot of cannons and bullets and i like that the staff is picking up on that cannons and bullets but i think where the staff has gotten confused is um, we haven't clearly defined what a bullet means for digital versus a cannon for digital. Um, and so that's one challenge. And then we have, you know, six or seven different things we're working on at any given time on the tech side. And so I think a lot of times the staff thinks that each of these bullets is independent of the other. When in fact, all of those, let's say six bullets would together, they're all aimed at sort of the same target, but you got to get, you got to do them independently. So you mentioned calls, reporting, forecasting, like all this stuff goes together to what we've been going after with the marketing operating system. But when you say MOS, that's more of our 10 year vision. Where's digital going? And it's one place where work would begin and end inside of Fiona for the client and internally. But then when the staff, they, they may hear that at the annual kickoff, let's say, but then when every week after week we're talking about calls or talking about like automated posts or talking about reporting, they forget that all those connect together. It's a, like back to the whole, we're going to put a man on the moon, but we got to build the rocket. We got to build the, the, the launcher. We got to build whatever life support system. All those things go together so that we get to the moon. That's exactly what's happening here. All of our bullets go together so that we can have one place that work begins and ends. But um, if we're not continually, I guess, um, reinforcing that we're going to the moon or that the MOS is what's on the horizon. It's easy to start thinking that we're being just really scattered uh, with our strategic approach. And that can cause 
folks to just feel a little bit um, unstable, like I guess, or whatever, like the, 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 the ground is shifting beneath them because mm-hmm. priorities feel like they're all over the place. Totally. And then uh, what I didn't mention, but you just did is, is posts um, and what we're doing on the NLG front. Um, so be thoughtful here about what we disclose and what we don't, but um, that's been, I feel like our, our Claire's greatest success. Um, and right as the words came out, I, I also think, man, our services have been tremendous, like that side of our business this year, more so than we were predicting. Um, so I forget what Ryan's growth was like uh, in those slides this morning, but the first six months, I want to say we've added around $5 million in annual recurring revenue, which is insane um, and, and fantastic. But our partnerships and you know the automated post has has really changed the financial trajectory as much as anything. And uh, that's really exciting to see. And you feel like, okay, well, if that's what's happening, we better skate to the puck, right? And put more and more resources and attention there. Can we still do that and maintain, you know, our call tracking platform, maintain the focus on fair housing, maintain the focus on reporting, maintain the focus on websites, um, maintain the focus on internal efficiencies and automation. And you start to see why um, a lot of our employees, you know, may may be feeling like back to your point that you know we're we're either biting off more than we can chew or things um, are a little scattered. So it is critical for us to kind of do this mid year check in, and um, I think internally and externally, because uh, inevitably our clients are probably feeling some of this, not as much as what we our, our employees are. But just make sure that everyone's clear on what the ultimate vision is, how this is going to stage, and reassure that you know the um, right amount of focus and attention is being put on all these other kind of sub sub products that that ladder up. Well, maybe that's a good point, a good way to transition into like what does this mean and what's next? Because um, if you look at it, Digital has basically added thirty percent, has grown the business thirty percent in just six months. That's massive growth. So now we're dealing with like oh shoot, all this effort we were going to put into development X, Y, or Z, now we have to hire more staff to keep handling 30% growth. And so with that came a large project that you spearheaded with, what does the new digital org look like in 23 or over the next 18 months? And there's a lot of uh, incremental hires on top of like just the standard hires. So I think I had last counted 12 incremental hires on top of like the regular scaling staff. Um, So maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, but I think that can help, uh, I guess, just, folks visualize meaning internally if not externally but work that you would have put into like hey we're going to heads down and build this thing now all of a sudden if uh, a lot of the leadership has to spend time recruiting and and building out the teams and systems and how your org changes if you grow 30 percent the org has to shift around a little bit yeah 100 percent. you can't really just be heads down um executing uh when you have this much growth that's uh, as just as you said kind of pushing us to to hire uh, a lot more folks and then ultimately restructure a little bit of our organizational design, which maybe we went further than just a little bit. But I was hoping, and I, I haven't gotten a chance to really come back on a one-on-one level with folks to to find out how they experienced that. But the hope was obviously that it was going to be inspiring. Um, but also, um, you know, the the idea behind that was to provide clarity. Um, when you're moving this fast, it is hard, you know, to, to communicate like uh, not just vision, but like, you know, how things will be staging um, and where the opportunity lies for your, for your staff. 
because we've been getting that a lot really from day one. It was like, wow, this is an awesome startup company. They're moving fast. They're growing, you know, but everybody I think was still fairly patient at that point, the first two, three years. Um, but then as the company graduates and moves really past the startup to what I'll use your phrase here, an early stage company that clearly has stability and scale and longevity, um, the questions start really coming up of how do I fit into that whole uh, equation? And well, so that was the, I'm just saying the impetus along with, uh, well, the growth that we're experiencing. And for, for showing it. a lot of our staff, we haven't had a lot of turnover. So we've had some turnover, but some a lot of our staff is approaching their third anniversary. And when you start your career, I feel like um, we're lucky to hold on to people for three years for sure. Uh, but then you can start to feel like, okay, I feel like my job's been kind of similar for three years. Mm-hmm. And now what what's next for me? So I just think that's important too. Like the, re- the fact that we have so many members that we've retained so long, you can, you can grow and they can be happy with the growth and the excitement, how things have changed. But, um, and this almost gets into like a, I guess a game theory exercise, but uh, I've, you know, we've read all these books like um, blitz scaling uh, from um, Reed Hoffman. Yeah. From LinkedIn. Yeah. He wrote blitz scaling and I wouldn't say that digital has blitz scaled uh, because it's a little bit different and I'd say a lot rockier of a road, but we're definitely somewhere between like a typical company shooting for single digit growth year over year and what we've been posting. Um, And so therefore You've got like some of the the sense of staff feels like we've been um, there's the security and like stability of the company, but then the on the other hand we're also still growing quickly and people they're like cool I I don't want to miss out on my career opportunity to try to grab for whatever, um, and so anyways back to your org structure I think that is needed but I'm just wondering I guess more I guess more asking you um, do you think about that any differently now like or do you like how we've approached it. I guess over the five years, because I feel like we've been pretty measured and been pretty transparent, but then in other ways, um, well, is that really the, was that really the right approach or would you want to do it differently? No, I feel good about it. Um, I think it would have been irresponsible on some levels for us to, to present what we presented, um, last week or a couple of weeks ago, two years ago, because, uh, a lot of it for me was just financial mm-hmm. until it, we were showing more profitability or sustained profitability. Uh, it would have felt, I don't want to say like a fairy tale, but it's like, how much can we really trust? These are, these are positions you guys are going to be able to actually move on. And so now I think we, we have that trust, the numbers support it. And so it was the right time um, to say we can look a year and a half out and, and really be open with you guys about uh, where our plans are to invest. And I also liked, obviously it was my suggestion, suggestion so hopefully it's obviously i would support it but uh the 50 percent um so we did put some positions on the board that weren't guaranteed that we we qualified would be financially triggered um but had a high probability meaning above 50 percent so you know what we walked them through was there are some very clear strategic hires that are happening like guaranteed and then there's several other positions that we're excited to to move on, but still will be uh, will require the right financial you know formula. Um, and then there's more positions that you know could be available if if we were really to blow it out, but we're not going to show you those. Yeah. So those twelve were all positions that were either guaranteed or had a fifty percent likelihood or more right. of getting greenlit. But I, what I liked about the message was that the financial component was wrapped in. Cause as you said, two years ago, we knew that we needed a marketing director, for example, but with hemorrhaging 
as I saw it, enriching money. <laughs> I saw it that <laughs> <Yeah>. way too. <laughs> like it's hard to say, oh, we should hire that person right now, right? And then uh, now it's like, okay, well, it probably makes sense, but we're growing so fast. Could we really handle if marketing produced even more business? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, question mark. And then uh, what I liked was we're not now willing to go backwards and not be profitable. So there's a certain profitability um, watermark that we want to hit no matter what. And if we start falling off of projections or uh, reality, we even have that in place now too. Like, okay, how long before things get um, sidelined or until they're revisited or locked down or opened up? So I like that we have all of these sort of um, structural rules in place that we don't have to have a, an immediate discussion. We missed our numbers one month. Do we need to have a, a meeting about it? It's like, nope, we, we can wait three months before this activates and then we take these uh, or this decision tree. Totally. And that um points us or points me to the 20 mile march and then the dip that ryan's building and then the smack recipe you and i will will really um spearhead this sounds delicious yeah doesn't it (laughs) um so uh you know we've referenced a few of these if not all of them but by this point but as we do look ahead and with the profitability and beating our projections the question is not just about the org, but what other spots is Digible going to invest in? And so we tasked our controller, Ryan, uh, to put together Digible's investment paradigm. And you know, I thought he did a great job with it. It's right now meant to be directional, but just showing all the different kind of, um, I guess, segments that we're prepared and expecting to invest in and then breaking those down and then how, you know, will the allocation look is what he's, he's still got to fill out as we uh, move into 2023. And the 20 mile March is a big part of that. Cause it's like, you mentioned not going back in profitability, but saying exactly what does that mean? Does it mean 2%, 1%, 4%? Um, and all that stuff backs you into, as you're talking about framework guidelines, parameters, um, it creates all of that. And it takes a lot of stress off the table. And it's also a great thing to share with the, with the staff. And then the last piece of that, that's that smack recipe, which I think is also so valuable for a company, whether they're established or whether they're, they're still, you know, in our case, getting established, um, you know, in, in your operating code. And as Jim Collins said, it's a lot easier to say what you will do than it is what you won't, uh, and then to actually follow that up. So a lot of businesses can say, well, we're always going to put the customer first. And of course, SMAC is meant to be specific, measurable, and consistent. So saying you always put the customer first isn't very specific, but you get my drift. It's like, oh, well, we have these tenants for the company that we're always going to follow. Pushing you to get underneath that is is one of the harder parts of the exercise. And then, as he said, um, really saying what you will not do. And it's meant to be decade or longer. So that also makes it difficult, uh, especially for a company that's having kind of the success that we are. Um, it's natural to, for your appetite to get bigger and bigger. Well, what I like is just to put, uh, well, a visual on the smack part is he used Southwest Airlines. And he said Southwest Airlines, part of their smack recipe in the 90s was they will not serve hot meals. And the point of that was, okay, if you serve hot meals, then you have it takes you longer to turn the plane because of all the garbage you got to get rid of and restock. Also, he said you now have to expand the kitchen, which means you like change like seating and yada, yada, yada. And so I like, he had, he probably had 12 of those for Southwest. And I, I think that would be really good. So for example, we were about to have Cena on from Apple and you know, we'll have him reschedule, but we've told him we're not going to build a CRM. That's not <laughs> that like that's off, it's off the table for digital, but what else? would be in that, as you're saying, this smack recipe, like, what are we not going to do? And then in some ways, like, what are we always going to do? Yep. 
and uh, in the How the Mighty Fall, which I think I guess you had read a while back, but I just f- finished last week. Uh, they talk about the stages of decline and not totally uh, comparable to us because we're still kind of on the way up. But as companies, you know, achieve success, what then can potentially compromise that success? And the thing that stood out for me, as I mentioned this morning to you, is those top two, which is hubris. And we have humility as a core value. So it almost is like, oh, we'll, we'll never be arrogant or cocky. But it's not really that, that you know, leadership or a company becomes that. It's just you you build a certain level of confidence and sometimes a false sense of confidence on what you can really achieve and what time frame. And, um, and then uh, if you, uh, God, what was the second thing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you actually got um, this one. Oh, it was growth. Sorry. So then um, as things... Um, as you start to see some cracks because you've become overconfident, you then react by recklessly pursuing growth and you just kind of at all costs, it's like, well, this is going to be our answer to this. So it's the bullets and cannons. You just start shooting everywhere. Um, And part of that is also tied to the, the fact that you think that you can, that, you know, you can effectively like manage that, that much, I guess, initiatives, volumes, et cetera. And we're not doing that, but I, I still can feel some of that, especially more from internally where it's like, man, you guys are shooting guns everywhere. And so it's just a great uh, timing for me to read that where we're at in the middle of the year, knowing how, how much more growth and, and product development we're planning for uh, over the next 18 months. I think it's uh, really valuable just to keep in mind. Just if you would expand on that a bit, cause it's been, this is before digital that I uh, mm. read it. Um, for growth, are you was he saying that basically companies start they're used to being successful and then uh, they start to slip a bit and then to almost like make them feel themselves feel better or something they just start saying well let's get growth back up on the board so we can regain what they see as their footing and then I don't know would they then be taking stock of like now what's next or do is it something different? Well, they don't do the empirical uh, innovation that he brings up in the 2.0, but you did more or less hit it. Um, these companies become kind of, let's say, fat and happy and maybe to some degree complacent. They're not, um, he said, often focused on what got them there. And so most of their innovation is, is kind of looking elsewhere. And that is what distracts them or takes their eye off the ball mm-hmm. of their core competency. And then that's what begins the, the stages of decline is they start to lose share or relevance of their core competency, which is what really keeps them, you know, afloat, right. Um, or steady, I should say. And then, um, as a reaction to that, they, uh, when they see that they're, they're under siege or that, you know, they've lost share, um, they flip a switch and just start saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to move quickly. Now we need to move quickly and start innovating and they start shooting kind of recklessly again, like in all different directions. And that only creates more distraction. And then you're not following some of his other policies as far as like being the best in the world or having that one thing or having it support your economic engine or um, uh, having people that are passionate about it. And then it turns into denial uh, where up top in particular refuses because they might see growth. So he points out a lot of times growth does come as a result of that, but it's short-term growth Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more that's being compromised uh, than meets the eye. And then um, as people start to identify that, you know, there's problems, uh, management is so hell-bent on on the growth and celebrating the growth that they don't want to hear about uh, kind of the uh, 
the issues that, that may lie beneath. It actually lines up really well with, as I told you, oh, while you were out, I started uh, Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game. And basically, like his, and we had said this ahead of time, that like a lot of times what we would say for just <laughs> our conversation, we'll say on here to whatever, so you don't have to rehash. But in Infinite Game, Simon, uh, Simon Sinek basically says there are games that are finite, like football. Everyone knows there's a time and a score, and there's going to be a winner and a loser. Then there's infinite games that have no winner, loser, and no timeline. And he says the only way an infinite game ends is you run out of um, basically ambition, like you stop wanting to play the game or resources. So a company going bankrupt or getting acquired is running out of resources or whatever, changing it. A person deciding to, to leave the workforce, they've lost the ambition or will, or that basically their will is gone. Like they don't want to do it anymore. It's time to retire. And so he says, obviously business is an infinite game. It's hard to think. You don't want to think in quarters, like what a lot of people have criticized the stock market for, of like these short-term wins. You want to think about the long-term because it is permanent. It's forever. And um, he, he gives a great example that lines up with this, I believe, uh, which is Apple uh, versus Microsoft. And he says, Apple came out with um, the uh, iPod like five years after Sony and um, all those other uh, players had uh, River. I think River was one of them. Anyways, all the uh, MP3 players had been a thing for at least five years mm -hmm. and it was selling really well for Sony. And then Apple's like, nope, this, this is part of our strategy. We're going to come out with it and we're going to come hard. And Jim Collins talks about the, the bullet of the iPod and then the Canon, which we argued a little bit about before because it felt like the iPod was just a Canon at the start, but they said it wasn't until the move to Microsoft uh, to making it compatible with Windows. He said Microsoft saw um, Apple doing really well with the iPod and we we're like, hey, we got to get in that game too because we're going to lose market share of consumers. And so they produced the Zune HD. And um, it's interesting, Simon said that he was invited to speak at both Microsoft and Apple just within months of each other mm -hmm. at, um, to their companies. And when he was at the Microsoft conference, it was all about, you know, we're going to be the best. We're going to beat Apple. We're going to do this, that. And when he went to the Apple conference, it was all about like, how are we going to get more students using our technology to whatever? So there's nothing about competition. Mm -hmm. It was just about how are we going to get this in the hands of more people and help, you know, with education and things like that. He said that is very clearly one is focused on just comp competition and one is just focused on the road ahead and where they need to go. He said after the, the, um, when, after Microsoft, they gave him a Zoom HD for free just for speaking. And he was like, I got to be honest, this is a fantastic device. It's amazing. I like it better than my iPod. Unfortunately, it doesn't work with Apple. So um, I'm on, I got my iTunes store and I can't then <laughs> use this. I got to <laughs> use my iPod. And he said after the Apple event, he shared a car ride with like, I think he said his employee number 53 from Apple. So someone had been there for decades. Mm. And he was like, hey, executive, you know, um, I got a Zoom HD and I got to tell you, it's way better than the iPod. And uh, he said the response from the executive is short. They were like, oh, I bet it is. And that was it. They wouldn't entertain anymore. It wasn't like, hey, ours does this better or that better. And he said it didn't become clear to him until just like less than a year later, the iPhone comes out. And it was like, okay, they are just always focused on what's next mm -hmm. <laughs> and where they're going long-term and not about these short-term wins. And while Zune uh, launched with an 8% market share, he said most people thought it failed because it didn't have enough marketing. He says, no, it, it was because it was a short-term win. It wasn't just marketing and it wasn't like built into their DNA the same way that Apple was thinking long-term. And eventually the Zune went from 8% market share, the 1% market share by 2010, and then they just canceled it out. Mm -hmm. Versus like Apple was basically with the iPhone cannibalizing the, the mp3 player because once you have an iphone you need the ipod so that's a big decision but it played into their long-term 
you know, vision and strategy. So anyways, I just think it lines up really well with, you know, what you're reading from Jim Collins these days. Yeah, for sure. The, I guess, business chess game, um, is, is always changing, you know, like, uh, well, at least it seems that way to me. And, you know, the biggest fear, frankly, for, for, I think for both of us is, is that somehow we, um, you know, become witness to, to some of the change instead of affecting it or leading it. But it's a fine line. Like you can't always be the one creating the change, but back to Apple, always thinking ahead, you know, that's my hope. And I think fair expectation for us as a company is that we're our own version of that within this industry is we are always looking ahead, not um, getting either distracted or too caught up with the short-term wins. Um, so yeah, just hope we keep it going. Well, and also I think, you know, Southwest Airlines is interesting with Jim Collins examples because for decades they were just the one that stayed profitable and just did the 20 mile march as he so um, you know, eloquently uh, walks through in his book. Apple though, like that didn't happen for them until basically coming back in the nineties, right? Late, late nineties when they started to like turn into the great company as he also showed, right? Like they were a company that were mighty that fell and then they have to go back to, to great again. So I wonder like, um, back to inf- when you think about infinite game for digible part of this could be uh, i could understand how if someone's in a 20 mile march they at some point miss the boat of some new tech or or business thing or whatever just because you are marching for a decade mm-hmm. but so much changes like as we have said before two decades ago you know like google amazon you know whatever facebook they were nothing right mm-hmm. and um so if you think 10 years would you need to for vision uh that could work out for you, but what happens year 11 or year 12? And when do you adjust? Because to the staff, it starts to feel very, you know, whiplashy. If like year five, you're like, oh shoot, now, um, uh, I was going to say cryptocurrency, but, uh, you know, consolidated ledgers are, are around, right? Uh, there's, I'll just say crypto that's here. And we, and digital now needs to get on board or, or do we, right? It's almost like the mobile revolution. Like the internet was barely 10 years in the consumer's eye when like everything was like going mobile first. So if you had built a, a company just on like Facebook did at first, it's a hard pivot to go from desktop to now like mobile, mm-hmm. mobile first. And so, yeah, it's just interesting because we need to keep our eye on the 20 mile March. We need to adapt to the marketplace, but you can't, uh, and, and yet we want to be transparent yet the more transparent you are with the staff. And if they don't feel like you have the clear vision or like it stays the same, they can get nervous and feel like, shoot, the, the folks up top don't know what's happening. Yep. And as you were saying that also, and I, I think for the most part, it'd be funny if anyone's tried to find contradictions in all of Jim Collins' books. <laughs> sure. um, but I feel like he's been thought it out so well, like if he needs to make a qualifier so that it doesn't yeah. actually be a direct contradiction, he does. But he also says, don't chase the next big thing and be careful, like, because companies can fall victim to that. And that's all they do is they're always looking for the next big thing. And that probably connects some, some, to some degree, like that kind of reckless growth, but you can't afford not to also be looking ahead. And so there's a difference. I mean, maybe it's obvious, but the next big thing could just be always looking at different products or, or services or whatever solutions you're trying to build for the market versus looking ahead on how do we build the way that you just mentioned with the iPod to the iPhone um, uh, on our product stack or roadmap, which is exactly what we're trying to do. It's like we're kind of turning on one at a time the different components of this marketing operating system. And eventually you'll see, you know, um, that it was all deliberate instead mm-hmm. of 
oh, now they're chasing call tracking or now they're chasing fair housing. It's like, actually, this will lead us to our iPhone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which was, to me, when you go through all the business examples, is one of the best examples for anyone to understand about going from iPod to iTunes to iPhone uh, to iPad, like all of those in a row clearly line up and make a lot of sense versus a lot of a lot of other business examples don't uh, on the roadmap and they don't seem as interconnected. Um, I think maybe our Apple does it differently than us, however, where they are very secretive and skunk worky about all of their stuff mm-hmm. versus we're super open. So mm-hmm. not only does can that cause problems internally, but it can also externally be convoluted messaging because someone, we have people all the time, even last week that come in like, oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I know Fiona. And it's like, oh, shoot, you're digital too? I thought you guys were different companies. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's that confused messaging. Um, and so I'm not willing to change it because I, I even internally, usually Skunk Works projects and the way that Apple does it with, with the secrecy doesn't work well for the company. Um, it ends up well just causing too much friction. So I'd rather be open, but then it's more about us helping set expectations internally and externally with what it really means and when something's really ready or, you know, so on and so forth. Yep. Well, as we wrap this one up um, and you look at the last six months of the year, trying not to get into 2023, which is difficult because as we're just saying, everything is is leading to kind of this bigger um, strategy and vision for us. But what has you most excited and what has you most uh, concerned um, for the company? Well, concerned is hiring. Uh, <laughs> just hiring that many people and that many really good people is, is hard. We've, thank goodness we, we overhauled our systems in Q4, uh, for, for our hiring process and, and tech, tech, tech stack, but it still means we have to be more deliberate about it. I mean, we've said before that all of these founder books you read say that you and I should be spending 20% of our time recruiting and we're definitely not right now. So I'm more worried about us, just every leader taking it upon themselves to spend 20% of their time recruiting. Um, Cause what'll happen is like this growth could continue or accelerate if we wanted it to, but we are naturally constraining it by not having, you know, uh, enough of a, of a hiring pipeline to, to move as quickly as we want. So that's my concern as far as excitement. Um, hmm, my first mind, my first thought was to go to staff and the investments. Um, our staff has been pretty lean or we've been pretty lean both on staff and resources. I think we've given them enough to be creative, but now uh, we have enough, you know, uh, headroom that we could actually invest in other things. Like as we were just talking about this morning, like let's put a sign on the outside of the building. seems crazy to, uh, <laughs> to put, to spend that kind of money on a sign. But at the same time, it's like, okay, if we can do that on a sign, where else can we start to invest? And I want the staff and this will be a delicate balance. I, I would like the staff to then use that to realize like, okay, we can ask for X, Y, or Z to make ourselves better. And we don't have to do this with bubble gum. But on the other hand, we want people to still stay um, thrifty. So like Ryan only orders one box of beef jerky. He hasn't ordered a second box of beef jerky. So, you know, we can't double our beef jerky consumption <laughs> over here. <laughs> but uh, I think you get what I mean. Like a lot of times folks will. I don't know, grads back. Oh, Grad is back. Yeah, we might need a third <laughs> box of jerky. <laughs> He's our one and only wiener dog. Yeah. Elise is the hungriest s- thing in the place. <laughs> sweet pet, yeah. Better make sure you eat your lunch quick around him. Um, all right, well. Yeah, return, sir. Yeah. I don't know if you want me to ask myself. You permission. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, I'm most excited uh, about 
fair housing and um you know because it, it's going to become i'll say I don't, a lot more real for us i think the back half of the year as as we know we have um a large amount of properties that we're anticipating bringing on so that's really exciting to see that come together and then um i think phase two maybe 2.0 of what we've been doing with post and like the nlg um I fully expect us to make some big strides there uh, over the next six months that I think is going to be really exciting for for all of our stakeholders. And then if I can squeeze a third in, and this would be probably Q4, but is I'm really excited to see Chelsea's plan um, for websites. I think that's going to be a big move for us, obviously, a uh, canon that we've already discussed in 2023. So um, hoping to come out of that super motivated and, and confident as, as we uh, take a big swing uh, in the industry. And then since we're on the topic, bold predictions, hmm. this should be easier. You're in a six month timeline, not a 12 month timeline. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I don't know if I should name names, but, um, that we will, we will have a, another large partner, um, join, join our coalition <laughs> <laughs> by the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I won't name names. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's interesting when it's six months, it's less bold. It's more, you should see it on the horizon. Um, this actually feels more nerve wracking than the one you just said, but that we will actually grow more in this back half of the year than we grew in the first half of the year. Oof. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. Definitely possible. As long as we... Back to the nerve wracking. <laughs> Got to get get the right hires in place. Uh, the problem with that is, like, obviously we've we've never wanted to grow for growth's sake, and so um, he talks about this a little bit in Infinite Game as well, at least to the, up to the point where I'm at. But it, it um, if it's all about revenue, it puts you in the wrong headspace. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking, and he says if you talk, if you use language like we're winning, we're losing, you know, whatever, and if you're marching towards, let's say, a revenue number, it gets people just all confused about what the real priority is so i don't want that's the challenge is i really don't want it to be like a message of like hey it's all about revenue and that's our that's how we know we're winning um and i don't want it to be about profit either so we definitely need a different a different metric he's making me think of that we need different metrics anyway well, i think it's about the two combined because you can become very profitable and go backwards in growth which yeah. you know it seems not that all private equity groups uh, subscribe to that approach but sometimes you know growth plateaus, but uh, mm-hmm. suddenly profits skyrocket. So we know, you know, that's not how it's going to go for us. And we're also not just pursuing growth, but I think it's pretty clear to the company. We're looking for a good balance and everybody should understand. And Collins points it out all, to all his students, um, you know, just how important cash flow and profitability is for a business's, you know, longevity and, you know, what you can expect from it. I forgot to mention, uh, I didn't actually call it my concerns. The biggest one is actually execution. And I could tie it to a lot of things, but at the end of the day, um, will we be able to execute on, uh, you know, the goals that we originally had in place, um, as well as, you know, the rocks that we, you know, we just set, um, and and we got one more quarter to do that, but, uh, you know, it's a lot. So you and I have in our own way, I'll say outran a better, uh, analogy for you than for me, (laughs) uh, the company's pace and, uh, just, you know, hoping that uh, you know, that that's not what happens the back half of this year. Hopefully, we set a pace that is fast and aggressive, but is is still doable, and that we'll be able to execute on it. But I am concerned about it. Yeah, 
you actually, um, I'll plant this here because we'll do, I'm sure, a separate recording on uh, the 20 mile march once we have it. Because we know one of the numbers that we want is a profitability number. But is Digible's true 20 mile march number really more of like a, a matrix? I'm just thinking about how we've been, you know, educated on like the rule of 40, which is about, you know, uh, which is the combination of, of, of growth um, uh, and profitability. And profitability. Yeah. yeah. So is it really a triangulation like that where it's like the rule of 10 for Digible? Mm-hmm. And that way it's not all growth, it's not all profitability, but it's both. And it's almost like you've talked about with expediters with like, now theirs was around 7% for one client. Six, yeah. 6%, sorry. Uh, so then is there something like that where it's like, okay, Digible never wants to go outside of this bound for growth, 30%, whatever. and never wants to go underneath 1.5% for profitability. And then how does that intersect to almost make the strike zone? You know, of like, here's our Well, you're going to get me fired up with that comment. Um, <laughs> and maybe this is a very brief <laughs> podcast, but... Uh, the rule of one or one number that we have heard in so many different books versus what you just, mm-hmm. just brought up, which we fought already. Yeah. And some level I'm still fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it okay to have an amalgamation or some type of formula that that is your 20 mile march? Yeah. Or does it just need to be a clean one number? Yeah. So. We'll have to get I'm just going to stop there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. a, it's a good debate. It's a fair debate. I mean, we've had it a few times yeah. uh, and I'm sure we're not the only company that struggles with that. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Hope you guys appreciate the update and we'll catch you next week. Later. Later.